Thanks for listening to Most Certainly True, a podcast of Grace Lutheran Church in downtown Milwaukee. This fall, we are reading through a book from the People's Bible Teaching Series called Civil Government. Contact our church office for information about purchasing the book from us, find it at www.nph.net, or just join us and enjoy the conversation. We're glad to have you listening either way. God calls us to be citizens in two kingdoms. We are members of the kingdom of God through faith in Jesus. And we are also members of an earthly kingdom, subject to the governing authorities that God has placed over us. We'll see what God says to us about that second kingdom and how we can serve Jesus as a citizen of both. Good to have you back. Thanks for tuning in for another episode of Most Certainly True. I'm here with my colleague, Pastor Hebner. How are hey, you today? I'm fine, thank you. Hello, podcast listeners. You're okay, Pastor Hockman? I, Everything is I good? Am, and I am doing well. Had a nice weekend, and here we are into another glorious week. Yeah. Well, it's middle of the week already. It's hard <laughs> to imagine. People who are going to listen to this later find out, yeah, yeah. doing this on a Wednesday. <laughs> we've been enjoying, uh, we've been looking forward for like 11 months to the the trees in our backyard changing oh, yeah. colors. I I've I brought this up in one of our little uh week, midweek devotions as well, but we have two sugar maple trees in the backyard. Ooh, and, uh just glorious. A beautiful orange and then they um they're falling with these big leaves and my kids have never really experienced that. We had some leaves but they were often junk leaves and you had more like pines we had some evergreen trees there were some that uh that that lost their leaves but often we're talking about uh, eagle river alaska by the way people who are listening don't know that (laughs) you're right we shouldn't do the insider baseball thing um but it was much rainier in the fall so oh. having a dry pile of leaves that you could roll around in wasn't, oh, I see what you wasn't mean. really something. I mean, you had leaves, but they were just like yeah, wet junk or whatever. Or they'd, they'd blow off in it. We'd get, um, like, they'd called, they're called Chinook winds. Oh, yeah. So the temperature would go up to 45, and we'd have, like, sometimes hurricane force winds. We'd lose power, sometimes 60, 70 miles an hour, <laughs> and we're per- perched up on a mountainside, yeah. and these winds come through. I remember we had a... Um, a wooden well that was like a flower pot thing. Sure. And I would chase that thing around the parking lot and it would get icy. Sometimes the Chinook would come in after we'd had some snow and then it melted everything and then it refroze into a, like a skating rink. So we'd, <laughs> we'd have some Chinook days. Um, actually, when I was holding the call here, yeah, it was, if you remember back in the winter of 2018, like November, December, there were some really frigid yeah. days here in the Midwest. I think you got off of school for like negative 30. We in Eagle River had off of school the same day, but because it was 45. It was 45 degrees and everything was a skating rink. Oh. So that was bad. One In Alaska, yeah. once you get too freezing, you want to stay below freezing. <laughs> yeah. You don't want to have that melt and all that problem and get ice problems. But we're on a rabbit trail already. I'm enjoying the leaves in the backyard and so are the kids. Yeah. <laughs> get off the track. <laughs> but it's been unusual in that, um, unusual, I shouldn't say it that way, I'm over the history of, of all God's created earth. But the last couple of falls, it just doesn't seem to me we've had as rich a blend of colors for some reason, the temperatures in the summer and the way they went this fall, uh, September, October, with moisture, temperature, whatever it is, it just seems to be a more varied and brighter pattern of leaves turning this year. Some years it just is like they go from green, 
brown done, you know, or <laughs> green, sure. yellow done. But there's a whole variety. The colors are really something this year. Okay. It's quite something to see. If you haven't had a chance yet, uh, maybe you pile the family in the Hockman van and take a ride out to Holy Hill. That yes. That is the thing in southern Wisconsin to do because that view from up there Yep. Is really... We did that on a Friday morning, I think, last fall. Oh, you did that last year, I yeah. Got to nice. Enjoy. Yeah. The one that's on our list is, is it called Seven Bridges? Is that the oh yeah the yeah. state park? Near I think here? so. Um, so that's on our yeah. We were all excited about fall colors last year because Alaska doesn't have many oranges yeah. or reds or whatever. So that was like a big treat. So Trisha was googling what are the best places to see fall colors. So <laughs> Holy Hill was on the list. That's on the list. Yeah. <laughs> I remember some years ago when I had a reason to be traveling yet, doing consulting work, there was a time I was going to, I think it was New Hampshire. I can't remember exactly, but I remember it was in the fall, like this, like October. And the view from the plain of New England as you're coming close, you know, to the airport and stuff like that. Was off the chart spectacular. I, I mean, we see some reds and your sugar maples and stuff. It's like the whole thing was that. It was really something to see. Really, really pretty. So that's cool. A lot of people like it because you know this cooler temperature. They're not fans of the summer, right? And then the fall is football weather. And given that it's a little hard for fans to get out and enjoy that nowadays, <laughs> but um, I, I'm not as big a fan. I, I still like the warm summer temperatures, and I just know that fall signals we're going to get snow pretty soon. So, <laughs> yep, nuts. <laughs> Have I told you about the uh, the unique Alaskan winters coming? Uh, when when there would be the line of snow across the top of the mountain oh, tops, sure. the mountain peaks, they called that termination dust because winter or summer was terminating and winter was coming. Ah, so you'd have you kind of an overcast, yeah. uh, like rainy fall afternoon or evening, uh, but then up in the higher elevations on the mountain peaks, that same system was is dropping snow. Yeah, then you and then tell. it would all lift, the clouds would all lift, and oh, look at it, there's snow there, on the top of the mountain. Now, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So we were excited about that the first year, and everyone looked at us like we were nuts. You drove to go look at the termination dust. We're like, it's snow. It's awesome. And then we went through a whole summer, or a whole winter, and then a whole summer, and now we, it's, like everyone else, just yeah. lamenting the fact that the inevitable <laughs> is, is happening. The inevitable winter is coming. <laughs> I kind of wonder, everybody who is interested in the weather patterns, because they change so much, who knows, but... What kind of a winter we always get? They can make predictions. And the almanac is what it is, but you never know. Right now, it would be nice to have as mild a weather as possible to give people opportunities to be outside instead of cooped up and massed and not getting together. Because it would be great when we have our we're getting together now, but it would be nice to have this uh, some solution to the to the bug so that we could yeah the ability to crack a window every once in a while or yeah. or be outside to go on walks would be. I think help people's but as long as there a is a government mandate, then we are under obligation to obey, and that reminds me look there's at, a podcast look about at that transition government, right? How do they get the right to make these <laughs> mandates? We should rebel, right? Well, maybe not so much. <laughs> <laughs> We're doing chapters three and four, yeah. Um, if you're following along with our book, Civil Government, and uh, chapter three is New Testament basics about mm-hmm. government. So, the last two chapters that were assigned last week, we got to talk about. Uh, government in Israel and God's role in 
uh, the direct rule over his people and then used examples of David and Daniel. Um, Now we're going to take the New Testament and both of the chapters here uh, New Testament mm-hmm. basics, and then chapter four we'll get to is Christ's right. role. And it's completely different than the way he, he de- the way he deals with us now through government as his servant is now is completely different than the way he did uh, directly with the government of Israel. Well, completely different. I mean, it's still God in control. That's the <laughs> the key. But how he goes about using uh, government today. Should we give an assignment? Should we make an assignment? We should give an assignment to our listeners. Well, sure. If you haven't recently, or even if you had, you should read Roman or uh, Romans chapter thirteen. Well, this is actually in the chapter, so that, that'll be the podcasters will enjoy the fact that the author of this book, Professor Deutschlander, did actually put Romans yeah. thirteen one to seven right, right. in it. So, so if you don't have the book, that's your assignment. Yeah. Read. Be sure to um, read that one old. of those key sections of scripture. Yep. Um, we alluded to that a little bit in the last episode. Um, that these are God's words and, of course, are meaningful, knowing a little bit of the history and, and where on the timeline that falls and who the governing authorities yeah. um, that would have first come to mind for the Roman reader, um, <laughs> knowing that they were there in the city of Rome and Nero was there, um, was yeah. the Caesar, and, and just what the Caesars were. The Caesars were claiming to be God and they were persecuting yeah. Christians. And, and Nero ruled from 54 to 68. So, you know, that's right in the time when Paul was writing the letter to the Romans is around 56 or 7-ish. So it's right then. He is yeah. the emperor. And then to hear Paul say, these are the authorities that God has placed yeah. over you and these are the authorities that God wants you to submit to <laughs> um, makes them uh, get really meaningful, right? And And... Maybe adds some perspective to yep. the the way that we have or the attitudes that we hold about. And Peter government. writing about governing authorities too in his first letter, right? Right. And um, that's that's getting closer to sixty A.D. and Nero still on the throne as the emperor of the Roman Empire, and that's pretty amazing. Paul in his later letters to uh, his coworker, young coworker Timothy, and uh, you know, there's comments in there, too, not just about false doctrine and things like that and how to handle it, but, you know, obedience and even praying for the governing authorities. And, right. Yeah. And and so he, he has these comments about government, and you can even just see his attitude. Uh, he never complains that how unfair it is that this pagan government has thrown him yeah. in prison and he didn't do anything wrong. And um, he appeals to Caesar when the, when the law affords him that opportunity. Right. But but recognizes that everything that's happening is God's doing and God is using um, even even mm-hmm. some corrupt or pagan governments to carry out his purpose. Yeah. And having that perspective helps him to respect that authority, helps him to have a trusting and faith-filled yeah. attitude uh, to everything that happens, whether it's the direct result of government uh, in his life or just the, the regular goings on of, yeah. of his life. Which is nice because, you know, you said pretty much where the author is going to be taking this because we can have that trust that God is still doing because it is God, God is the one who establishes government. It's really in the beginning of this chapter and that next. So obviously that indication is right there. And I think the author does a great job of underscoring that God is the one who has established it. And then of course, then we owe governing authorities our, Respect and obedience. Yeah, you used the word before, servant. That's yeah. right there out of Romans 13. And and that picture is just <laughs> incredible. That here, 
we usually think of government as the top and your chief yeah. executive is the your president or prime minister or whatever yeah. that's the the highest that you can get um but no those people those men and women that serve in those in those roles are servants of god they're the ones that are there even to, if they don't know it to serve the master right to carry yeah. out the master's purpose um that's why government's been established reminds me of uh I just find it fascinating in the, I know we're going to go into the Old Testament for a second here, but yeah. um, in Isaiah, when when God calls Cyrus, my servant, I'm sending my servant, yeah. and it's the, the ruler of this pagan empire, um, but God calls him by name before he's even born and says, here's the one that I'm going to use, and here's how I'm going to use him, yeah. and here's what's going to happen. I mean, he spells out that whole servant-master relationship uh, there in, in that history mm-hmm. of God's people. Uh, but you could rightly say that any any leader, any uh, ruler is a servant of the Lord. Which is a head-scratcher, I think, for us today because we see so many rulers that we would either disagree, maybe whether it's their political views or maybe their personal habits or their morals or, you know, whatever it might be. How can that be a servant of God, you know? And right, that, that every governing authority actually is, even if they don't know it, or if they do things, we'll get into that in a little bit, as he does later in these chapters, three and four, even if they don't always do things that are, we think, on the outside, beneficial for God's church and Christians. Or that we know are abhorrent, right? The genocides or um, some of the really nasty things that that dictators have have done to their own people or to uh, people around them. Um, I mean, wars have started to, to get these people out of their position of influence over their people but we would say that even people like that are god has his purposes and god's not the author of the evils that they carry out through their power um but we would still recognize Mm -hmm. even in those governments yeah they've got their authority just like jesus says i think it's good to start as the author does with these basics of what really government is for and uh, he does that as this chapter unfolds, and he has these nice lists once in a while, and the podcasters will find that on page 41. It's worth mentioning, I think, that you got four basic areas that what is a government to do? Well, commend those who do good, be a terror to those who do wrong, controlling always outward behavior. That's a big theme. And to carry out the punishment of those who do wrong, and uh, so and to collect taxes, so... I think that's interesting, too, his comment about, you know, the sword. God has given the government the sword for two purposes, and one would be to punish criminals, the other would be to wage war. And a lot of those, you know, from our compassionate hearts filled with the Savior's love, why would you do that? Well, that's God's keeping peace and order in the world and for our safety and protection and for the good of his church and the spread of the gospel. The governments do have, under God, the authority to be able to punish the wrongdoer, and whatever that form a punish might take, and also to wage war. But, you know, then it always raises up the question in a lot of people's minds, is that okay? You know, I challenged our kids in catechism class as they're studying their material under the, I think it was Fifth Commandment, you know, or do not kill. Well, what if you got somebody who says, I'm a conscientious objector to being conscripted into the military service because uh, there was a day when there was a draft and you had no choice, you know, and and um, 
I'm objecting because as a Christian, God says, don't murder, and I believe that going to war, and as a soldier, I'd be shooting people, and that would be murder. So I challenge the kids in the class to discuss with their parents that issue. What what would you say to such an individual who claims, hey, are you going to do that? Would you, don't you think that would be the God-pleasing thing to be a conscientious objector and say on the basis of my religion or beliefs I can't be a soldier? How do you handle that? How do you respond? So yeah. it was neat. I hope that they had a really great discussion this coming uh, a couple of weeks from now, we'll gather together again, and I'll get their answers to see how they handled it. There you it. go. Didn't Luther write a treatise on mm-hmm. on that? Um, what was that called? The one that the German nobility, I think, is one that okay. picks up on that. And then when he had another one, a huge one, about the peasants' war yeah, yeah, and the evils of rebellion and stuff like that and the uh, rights that the governing authorities have to, even if you don't like them, so there's... I should be a little bit more up on my Luther reading, and get, now you're <laughs> making me want to go back and I want to grab those essays and reread. There you those. go. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it probably, you know, no doubt has something to do with that too in the Babylonian captivity of the church, and I bet he's got some things to say about how Christians operate in an evil society. And but it's a little fuzzy in my memory banks. It's been a while since I've read those. Thought there was one about. Uh the Christian and being a soldier or something like that. Probably is. I, um, I'm not going to respond because I don't, in my memory banks, hold we'll, that. We'll we'll edit the podcast to make both of us sound smart. Okay? Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, not necessary. We can just bring it in next podcast and see. If, we found it, and if here's the, what the if essay the tone, is. If the tone of uh, the actual title comes in here and it sounds a little different, it's because we put it in, in post-production. Oh, I see. So. <laughs> yeah, that's really good. But... Um, That's really a good section, I think, that he's got there on page 41. It's really worth paying attention to. And then the other part starts on the bottom and goes to the next page talking about the form of government. You know, we that's been a great challenge to throw out for people, uh, uh, God's people, to wrestle with, too. Because we just, I think, based on our American blood DNA type thinking, uh, assume that democracy is the best and that's the way to go. Well, where is that in the Bible? Right, and isn't it interesting that that can that can lead a person to because it's the best now everyone else should have it and um, to 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 get this mentality or idea that that this comes from God and therefore um, I can put my hope in democracy I can put my hope in this best form of government yeah. and and just how you get yourself on the wrong path even about what government is and about God's uh, relationship with it. Um, now, are we saying that forms of government that, whether whatever it might be, whether it's democracy or and, the, and, and, and our freedoms begin to become encroached upon with rules that make it difficult for Christians to gather for worship, or whether it's a socialist government or whether it's a monarchy or a dictatorship or an oligarchy or total anarchy where it's just chaos— and and are we saying that we think it's okay if governments you know repress Christianity or well no we're not saying that at all in fact we're grateful to our Lord that over the course of American history we've had the blessing of the freedoms to worship and to uh, honor Jesus as as we choose so we're grateful for that but that doesn't mean that that's the God ordained best form of government. Right. You know, which also goes to the question about economics. You know, what is what is more God-pleasing, capitalism or socialism? And force, you know, everybody has to have the same income and just distribute the wealth to everybody supposedly on an equal basis. 
or capitalism where you know if you are you know work hard and put in your time you'll be able to move your way up economically and to you know give yourself a comfortable living which is the best and well depends on which i like better and then that's the one that god likes best right and guess what socialism is driven by greed and capitalism is driven by greed. Yeah. <laughs> they're both they're both driven by greed. So so the evils of each are equal and the goods of each could be argued on either side. So right. once again proving we can't say that in the Bible God is saying one form of government or economic system is better than the other. It's where we find ourselves and in general God establishes the authorities that we are to respect and obey. Unless unless they command us against his will, which he picks up um, on pages 42 and 43. So what do you think, Pastor Hockman? Is it okay if you don't like things in your government, how things are going, or that it's not? Maybe even if they're uh, repressive toward Christianity, uh, is it okay to rebel? Rebellion. Um, I, I suppose we'd have to define what that means, right? Is it okay to not like what's happening yes is it okay to maybe speak out or take an active activist role um against the actions of government might be different i think you have to draw a line between actions of government and government itself uh, but like flat out armed rebellion i think we'd have to say is sinful yeah if if the if the heart of my of my complaint against government is that it's unfair um, or this, or they're not doing what they promise. You you ran on this particular platform, and now you've changed. And now I, right. I'm sad. I voted for you. Um, I, I I think that's that's not within our means as a Christian. But God gives us an ability to at least in this country we have the the right and ability to vote. Um, we have platforms where our freedom of speech can we we are free to speak out in a loving and respectful way. Um, about abuses or or right. things that we found to be unfair, um, but to just rebel, to be the one that decides I don't feel like you're my government anymore, or I want to try to oust this form of government and and place a new form of government by force. Yeah, yeah. I, I think we would say that that's a violation of yeah the authority and side not for of, not for religious or moral reasons when there have been over time in history rebellions against existing governments. That usually is based on either I don't think it's fair or I'm not getting my fair shake or peace or maybe it's economically driven, driven, whatever it is. Rebellions end up bringing in new governing authorities that are probably worse than the ones to the left. Could be. In history, I think that's probably more often the case than not. Yeah, the grass is always greener is is yeah. kind of the what's behind most rebellions, right? True, I think we right? can bring something better. The whole situation, though, of this uh, topic in this book is really good for us to think through, given that we're in the 21st century and we are living in America, and we have so many strong opinions when it comes to this whole topic of politics, you know. And what complicates it, I think, is that it... It would be an oversimplification to try to pit one political party against another, against independence or whatever, based on only one topic or one thing that you may not like. Right. Because 
because it's just more complicated than that. The political stance, the political behavior of different political parties can change over time, and there may be some topics that are hot buttons that a certain political party might be in favor of another one against. And then within that same year, it's the it's the reverse, where there are some political uh, stances or opinions in a party that you would be against for one topic, you would be for in another topic. And then you look at the other political party and, okay, I agree with them on this topic, but I disagree on that one. It's just, it's just more complicated. It's not just a one yeah. thing. People on both sides of Republican and Democrat have, have asked, how can you be a Christian and be this? And it's because, well, in right. this particular issue, it feels like biblical principles are pulling me in this direction. Yeah. So anyone who doesn't feel like that's the strongest issue um, must be violating conscience and sinning and, and yeah. therefore not uh, not voting as a Christian should vote. And then the other side can do the same thing with a different issue. A and, different topic, um, right. And, then and people even, are very passionate, you know. So uh, it's a matter of just sort of stepping back and catching your breath, which I think our podcasters, well, I hope, will understand when you're reading a book like this, this is what a book like this helps you do. Step back, catch your breath, look at the general principles, look at God behind the scenes, because uh, he masks himself in all ways. God masks himself in order to care for us and provide for us, and especially to love us enough to take on the form of a human being and enter our world to be our substitute. And Because uh, if he presented himself in full, we, we would just be piles of ashes and burning in hell. We just can't stand that holiness. God has to mask himself. So he hides himself, you know, in um, even his control of the peace and order in society through governing authorities who don't look like they're God's representatives or who have policies that we disagree with. And that is a challenge, I think, for Christians to work through and think about. Yeah. Sometimes it's such a good disguise that people forget <laughs> he's back there, right? Yeah. And and you get your priorities out of whack or your... Right. Um, you start to feel like either either gov- it, there's pitfalls on both sides. Either the government is what I put my hope in because yeah. they're so great and any f- fear or threat that I might lose this is the end of all things. Or my government's so lousy that I don't have to respect them and they, this couldn't possibly be from God and so I'm going to go try to find my own utopia or I'm going to rebel <laughs> against them so that we can institute the Christian government. Yeah. Um, and e- e- either one of those sides is a ditch that's that's dangerous Right. and it's losing track of, of the fact that the two kingdoms, that, that God is king over both but gives us the church to do its thing and have its concern, and the church, and the government, the state, to mm-hmm. have to have separate concerns. Exactly. I think that well, it there, we're going to talk a little bit more. I hope in this podcast about the two kingdoms as we move fo- through the chapters and get into chapter four. But I did want to just mention in our podcast here about the chapter three. What a wonderful section there is after he talks about rebellion in no way, shape, or form. Is that going to be appropriate? But then he has that section of the questions, you know, but... Right. <laughs> and uh, the toughest one is right there. What if the government um, to be God's servant is... How can, I, how can I see them as that and see them as good for us when the government actually does evil and is persecuting? In other words, 
is God actually, how can he do that? You know, how can he still, how can we still look at this government as God's servant when there's evil that is allowed? Right. And um, in general or specifically, how can I look at the government as God's servant when it's persecuting the church? Right. When it's actually killing Christians or um, we've got those two. (laughs) One is more of a subtle and another more pointed, but it's really the same thing. How can how can we respect government as God's authority when they're not being godly? Which, you know, gets us to those big questions where God in the Bible doesn't, you know, as he reveals himself, tells us what's going on, but he doesn't always tell us why. You know, we he tells us in the beginning of the Holy Scriptures that he made the universe and human beings. He put us in this world that he created. Why did he do that? Why did he make a universe? Why did he have this planet, and then human beings as the crowning jewel. Why? He doesn't need a universe. He doesn't need earth. He doesn't need people to be God. And the Bible doesn't give an answer to that. It just tells us what God did. Here you are living in this world. You're a human being. That's how it happened. God made it, and you're in it. Why? Yeah. (laughs) He goes, it's in the next chapter, but he uses the example of the Greeks and the Romans uh, in a fascinating way. The Greeks didn't know that God had them there to unify the language so that the gospel could be spread. Right. The Romans didn't know it was central government and a road system that God was going to use to spread the gospel. Yeah. Uh, they didn't know how or why they were being God's servants, yeah. uh, but God did. God but, was using them. And so yeah. just because we don't see uh, here on this side what's God doing with this government or with that hardship or that trial. Same is true in our own lives. We don't always know what God is doing. So when when God, who is in charge of the world and of history, uh, when we don't always see it or have the answer to the question, we can still, with a note of confidence, say, but I know that my God is king and I know that he's in charge. Right. And that gets back to the original hard question, because it's not just why does God allow his servant government that he allows to be established and he has authority over them, they have authority over us. Why Why does he allow evil governments to exist and to persecute Christians? Which is the bigger question behind it is why does God allow evil in the first place? Allow really evil no, of any kind, right? Yeah, there's, there's, no, there's no Bible answer other than you just go to the cross and you see, but he loves us in Christ and he did something about it and so we're going to end up in heaven. Now, I, I, you know, as a pastor, when you're talking to people who are struggling with those questions, a problem of evil, I think it's right and fair for us to, we're not speculating either, but to say just what I, the, the good professor is in this book, while we don't have all the answers to, you know, why did God allow that in the first place, here's what we know. We are sinners. We're living in this world, and this is not our permanent home. We're getting into now what he, I don't know if he, I have to remember, because I just read this not too long ago, but I... This business of the theology of the cross versus a theology of glory, where you know your viewpoint, your attitude, and your understanding of how God operates, and uh, to to think that our goal is to make this world a perfect place and to make it as comfortable and as nice and as happy and as long lasting as possible might be fun from a human perspective. I'd rather be healthy and not sick with the coronavirus. I'd rather have good relations with my spouse and my kids. I'd rather and my friends. I'd rather have more money than less. You know, I just I'd like to be comfortable and not have I'd like to get rid of arthritis. I'd like you know, I I'd like to have a pain free and happy existence. But that's just not the way it is. And and why? Why do I have to deal with all this junk? 
And that's God always, again, back to Genesis 3, tapping me on the head and saying, Pastor Hebner, don't forget, this is not your permanent home. I got something better in mind for you. The more I cling to what I want and desire this world to be perfect or better or happy or easy, the more I'm in a theology of glory. Theology of the cross is comfortably and contentedly saying, yeah, life's a bowl of cherries and mostly pits, but that's okay because <laughs> heaven is mine and Jesus loves me and I'll be okay even if I get cancer or coronavirus or whatever, if I have a death of a loved one or a friend. It's not an insignificant thing. Those are terrible. You know, if there's earthquakes in Alaska and you're trying to make a decision on a divine call, and so those are hard things to yeah. handle or saying goodbye to people you care about, like we're thinking in terms of, uh, you know, relocating to a new community or something. You know, they're, yeah. they're hard. Those are hard things. Those are very difficult things. But... Uh, the Savior still loves us. Heaven is still ours. Nothing can separate us from that. And that's really the theology of the yeah. cross. We can expect that it's going to be crummy. And and having a government that puts pressure on Christians, um, you know, you think about other governments in the world, whether you're in the Middle East or in the Far East, different than America, where they don't have the kind of freedoms we do. Um, it does generate in those Christians underneath that pressure just like it did in Bible times when you read through First Peter. He's writing to people who are being persecuted and gives them a greater drive toward Jesus, his death and resurrection, and more hope. It helps them grow in faith. It helps them cling to God and his promises more. So the tougher it is, the more you cling to your God and his love and the promises of eternal life. The easier your life is, the greater chances of apathy and indifference. And we talk about this, too, in a general way. In our called worker meeting, we were talking about the difference between the opposite of love. Yep. I think that came up in our conversation, too. The opposite of love isn't necessarily hate. The opposite of love for God and neighbor is apathy. And so often when we live in this American society, when we got it all nice, it's really easy either not to be compassionate about those in our neighborhood and our communities who are hurting and not care and say, what do you mean? All lives matter, not just black. You know, well, no. There are people who are hurting, and as a Christian, we want to... But it's easy to become apathetic or to become apathetic about our God and his worship. And I'll just take the easy way instead of the hard way and skip it. Well, then you get the coronavirus and it makes you long to gather with your fellow believers in worship. And Right. You're talking about um, theology of glory versus theology of the cross. Trish and I are... <laughs> Uh, we read Romans 8 in our morning devotion this oh. morning. Yeah, and that's one of my favorite chapters regardless. In the whole Bible. But how, how appropriate for, for this topic yeah. that, I, you know, my present sufferings, Paul says, aren't even worth comparing to the glories <laughs> be revealed that are in store. Yeah, verse 18. How, yeah. how foolish it would be to strive after glory in this world if right. it comes at the expense of, yeah. of eternal glory. Which is the basis for verse 28 when he says all things are going to work for our good. He'll, right. he'll take care of that. And, and then, then, of course, then it peels into verses 31 yeah. into 39 in the end of the chapter, and that's golden right and there. nothing can separate us nothing. from his love, which yep. is a great concept to have on our hearts and, and heads yeah. as we're going through a, a book on government that <laughs> no matter what evils might uh, be out there or might be right there in my yep. face, no matter how um, unjust or unfair the the government might be, it, it can't take away my Jesus. I think it's a delicate balance, though, for us as pastors because, you know, people might look at us as odd or even some dear members who might think, 
what's the matter with you? How come you don't talk more about what's going on in politics? How come you don't take sides? How come you don't even mention that certain candidates would be evil if they would get elected or certain other candidates would be, even though they're not maybe uh, looking from a human perspective, the most moral, they would at least be a, a little safer protection for whatever reason that they, they have in their mind, the members. And come on, Pastor, come I mean, you're not talking about this more. Well, we, we're doing podcasts on the general principles of God operating through his governing servant, but it it isn't it isn't appropriate, I don't think, to get all bent out of shape and to, you know, stump for a certain political party or a certain politician for even as pastors to do that, because really in the big picture, it does a couple of things. It certainly throws people off into making them think like certain political parties or candidates are more God-pleasing. Yeah, one side is the one Christian side party. Is the, the and Christian the other party, what isn't? And secondly, it's really... I don't want to poo-poo this and make it sound like I don't care, but it really isn't our job, and it really isn't that. This sounds weird. Doesn't it's not that big a deal? Yeah. People getting bent out of shape by the election coming up in November, right? And in the long run, I know it's important. I know there are people are going to say yeah, it's, but it's the most important election this country's ever had. Yeah, right. Like and, they say every single election. And they say, every, you know, <laughs> and in the in the in the long run, it, God Psalm two. You know, that's another thing. If podcasters would grab their Bibles, you read in Romans thirteen, read Psalm two. God is still in charge, and He's up in the heavens, and He even laughs to think that people and nations can stick their tongue out at Him and do what they want. I'm still in control. My son is still the anointed one. Yeah. He's still the Savior, and heaven is still ours. And it's really, no matter what political parties in charge, I may not like some of the policies or if my taxes go up or if some you know, some decisions are made and by lawmakers and supported by a Supreme Court that I think are unjust or unfair. I may not like that, but in the long run, I'm only here for 70, 80, 90 years. I'm going to be in heaven forever. And right. what I want to be able to do is Tell people about Jesus. And in heaven, the election of 2020 isn't going to really matter it to you. Matter. Huh? <laughs> yeah. Now, again, it does matter in the sense for us and our earthly existence and our spread of the gospel if governments suppress, you know, Christian proclamation. And that does bother us. And we, we would hope that that would not happen. And we would be able to honestly say that certain governments over time that persecuted Christians and still are, that's not right. But... What do we do about that? Right. If you, you know, it's, it, what we do is we could still proclaim the gospel. We could talk for probably a whole other episode about just the the unique position that a pastor has put in when it comes to this, <laughs> um, and we won't do that. But um, I've often told people, let's go out and have lunch, and I'll I'll tell you who I'm going to vote for, and I'll tell you why. But I'm not going to from the pulpit as the as the spokesperson for. Grace yeah. Lutheran Church and Christ my Savior tell you that this is how you have to do it right. because that's not the job of the church. Yep. Um, and that, as, as a citizen yep. um, in everyday life, I, I have the, the responsibility to be involved in government the way that every citizen does. But um, as a pastor um, and as a representative and spokesperson for the church, the, the yep. role of the church is is to proclaim salvation to God's people, and it's not to establish or support one form of yeah. local government. What you just did was a great transition to chapter 4, because that is at the heart of it, and I think you articulated so well, and I would encourage podcasters in reading chapter 4 to keep Pastor Hockman's 
uh, comments in mind because this is the chapter where the author goes into that business of two kingdoms, and both are under Christ, both are under our God, and yet they operate in very, very differently because he's got different tools for them, very different jobs to do, very different tools to use, and one, the kingdom of Christ, the church, uh, the the invisible church that he operates through, the, he uses the tool of the gospel, the good news of his word, and it's aimed at the inner self, at our hearts. And of course, when our hearts are changed, our actions change. But Yeah, and he's made a couple of references to that. The government is in charge of outward behavior. Outward behavior. And it's so tool attitudes, it does, there's no laws against having a bad attitude. There's and, no, and this idea that no. we can use the Bible and look for Bible commands even of God and turn them into laws, and that'd be the best way to go. That's not the job of government, and that is, that is an inappropriate way to use the Bible. Right. Like we're going to legislate people to become Christians and believers. No, that's not, that's the way not it how works. that works. No, <laughs> there are two kingdoms, and Christ is over both. And uh, the, gov- the kingdom of the left hand is one way we talk about this is right hand and left hand and uh, of the government is got the tool of the sword to punish the wrongdoer and to keep the peace. And the kingdom of his right hand, this church, has the tool of the good news of his saving love that we use the term the gospel to touch hearts. One is for outward behavior. One is for the heart. Yeah. I thought very uh, different. These two chapters were great with these lists. Because they're, oh, yeah. they're lists of principles. Uh, yep. And now you apply these principles into a different scenario or a, you have a question, how should I interact with government or whatever the question is. Well, let's consider the principles and let's remember what the jobs and responsibilities and expectations of yep. both are. And that um, gets at the heart of your comment then about the challenging position we as pastors are in because our role, we are called to operate in the kingdom of his right hand, in the in his church, which is a kingdom of love and grace. It's the it's the good news operating in people's hearts. That's our role. Our role is not to be spokesman for the kingdom of his left hand. We right. live in that world, in a real world with all our fellow members and fellow Christians and everybody else. But we know that God's going to operate with us in that kingdom differently, using yeah. different tools. But our job, if Pastor Huckabee don't speak out about political things, is, no, that's the kingdom of God's left hand. I'm here to talk about the kingdom of the right hand. There was a big church in in Anchorage that um, they would have all of the people running for office come, and they would pre-service announcements was, look who's here with us today, and yeah. they're here. We're going to give them the mic for a few minutes. And it was just painful to see yeah. this is not what church is supposed to be about. It's and then, a, But yeah. then you hear that same pastor of that church from the pulpit telling them if you're a christian this is the way you'll vote on this particular <laughs> and it's just that's what's that got to do with uh you don't sin have the grace, authority to right? say that and this is you're you're being an earthly kingdom yep. um politician here and not a yep. spiritual kingdom pastor now is it true though that with the church and operate with the good news because our goal is to get the gospel to more people that the church and state let's use those terms for the kingdoms are Separate. Well, you know, under the Constitution of this nation we're living in, theoretically, yes, but there's never really a true separation because there's always intersection. Right. You know, if there's a complete and total separation, then then we can't expect that the fire department will help us out when the church is on fire, you know, or the police will protect us when we need, you know, somebody is stealing or robbing or doing something damage to the church property, you know, so right. there's always crossover. You church know? is in a sovereign nation that has to... Right, we're part of the 
community the, the and, community and, the and state. we yep. want to make friends and connections and be open and get to know people in our community and especially governing authorities so that we have a good relationship with them and and um, they understand that we have a function that's different than theirs yeah keeping peace and and allowing people to live and prosper in safety but if, if they can know us better then they'll know that we have a different function ours is to get people to heaven and you know so I have a, a close connection to God now yeah but it 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 is to the benefit of our ultimate goal to tell more people about Jesus so they have a close connection with God now and forever it is it assists us to have the protection and the favor and the kindness right you know of i mean finally let's let's think about this one of these great privileges we we really there's nothing in the bible that mandates this but we get to operate here as a congregation tax free yeah i was just going to bring that up and and How that's a, that? that's an awesome blessing that that we have, and we can do more gospel ministry because of that. What if that goes away? Yep. What if the law changes and now churches have to pay taxes? Well, then what? Well, then we pay taxes. Yeah. Then okay. <laughs> it, it wasn't from on high. It wasn't from God that right. we had this tax exemption. Right. We we like it. We might even um, if this went to court, we might even uh, make some statements to try to keep it in place. But if it goes away. It wasn't. It wasn't yeah. from written in stone on top of Mount Sinai. It was a privilege that God gave, and if that, if history shows that that was a temporary privilege, then okay. Yeah, it's it's everything that you know is very contemporary in our community, in our world. Everything from government making mandates about health issues, or the whole uh, parental and school choice issue in our state and in our community. Right, and. Um, you know, even back to the days when there was busing where, you know, Christian kids can get on the bus that deliver kids to public school and to the Lutheran school down the street, you know. Um, and that's a Do You have milk, you know, in the recess time or whatever for the little kids in grade school and a government-funded program. Do we say yes to that or not? Well, f- sure. Thank you. <laughs> you know, we're grateful that when we bought this land 10,000 square feet back in 2005, the price for land downtown was skyrocketing, but they were selling it to us for um, a price that we could three hundred twenty-five thousand dollars for ten thousand square feet is three hundred twenty-five feet a square foot, and they could have charged us triple that easily and said, "But you know, so they they were." I, I wish they would have given it to us or sold it to her a dollar, you know. <laughs> right. But, you know, there's things that we, by building relationships with community leaders and people, those things can happen for the benefit, for the sake of God's kingdom of the right hand of the church for his right. saving love. You brought up the tax exemption thing. The reason that exists is because the state recognizes that it's good for them to have churches yes. that are operating and functioning and proclaiming. Um, at least morality, at least that, obedience. Exactly. That, and so they're willing yeah. to set aside that taxing privilege to promote the mission of a church. Are church members sinners? Are you know? Yes. Do they break laws? Yes. But when people are connected to the government, recognizes just on the basis of common sense. When people are um, connected to the true God, well, they think would think I suppose any God, but it's just common sense that there'd be a better. Uh, chances of having more moral behavior yeah. play out in reality, and then the communities are healthier. It's just, 
and safer. You know, so the, the more spiritual, quote, unquote, people are. Yeah, uh, so it's not necessarily the as, best to say church and state have to be absolutely. Right. Now, if but that goes do, across the line. There is a separation in their functions. Right. There's a separation in the tools they use, but there is a lot of. If, uh, if, the, if it got changed that we'll give you the tax exemption as long as, as, long as we get to dictate what you preach. Well, guess what? We're yeah. foregoing a tax exemption, or and we'll do we'll do school choice and help fund. You can go to private schools, but we get to choose your teachers, or they they don't they, right. they can't be Lutheran, or, or we're going to you pick your curriculum. You got to have Jesus you out, have out to, of the picture. Yeah, you have to. You can put Jesus in, but you also have to teach evolution. You know that. So then we'd say, right. no, thank you for the money. I mean, right. you do you know. So I remember a conversation with one of the pastors who's a neighboring pastor, a good friend of mine, and when the choice issue was coming up as new. Now we're talking already three decades ago, you know, this is a long time already. <laughs> but, um, you know, I asked him, so what happens if the current rules, which allow you to have a school at your church where, and Grace Church funds tuition for our kids to go to Lutheran schools, and the, they're free to have their own, they're not mandating anybody who's coming from the community that they have to become Lutherans or Christians, but they're going to be exposed. Just tell honestly the parents are going to hear about it. We're not going to take it out of the curriculum. What happens if that rule goes away, that freedom that you have and you are mandated? And he says, well, I guess then we had several years or decades of telling kids and their parents about Jesus, and then it'll stop. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's, it was a good response, I thought. But I, I think we did uh, quite a bit here in this. It was really good covering what we did. I, that page 54 in this book does have this significant statement about the two kingdoms yeah. in the book. The paragraph that spans on to 55, I've got the whole thing highlighted. I do too. That's um, how, how could they be more different? Yep. <laughs> and I, I think our podcasters will really enjoy. And it's worth rereading when you're reading through this book. It's not a hard book to read, but that's worth rereading. And then, of course, you know, how I, the Lord I, Jesus demonstrated that. I the appreciated that list. Isn't of, that neat? Of ways, And you wouldn't necessarily think of that. Mm-hmm. Um, but to put it in those terms, the um, the exile, right? And he, but then he just he just refused in Jesus' ministry to use the kingdom or government to advance his purposes. He just would suffer underneath it. But you know, there were a lot of times when the government was working against what we would call right. the plan of salvation, all the way to the cross. Right. right. I mean, and if could've... you had control of the lightning bolts and the government was uh, right treating you the way that they treated Jesus, oh uh, my. I think you probably send a few lightning bolts, huh? <laughs> <laughs> That's why I really appreciate, too, and the podcasters will find that when we get to the end of that chapter and the section they'll be reading for this time, or maybe are into it already, on page 58 with a summary, Christ is king. He rules over two distinct kingdoms in very different ways. He gives each its proper work and the tools for carrying out that work. And we may have difficult seeing and grasping that, but that's really the key for us understanding how we live in this world with civil government. That's a great summary because the statement, of course, is most most certainly certainly true. true. Thanks for listening. To learn more about God's grace or to support the work that we do to proclaim the love of Jesus in Milwaukee and around the world, visit www.gracedowntown.org. This grace is for you.